Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. I'm Teresa Blaze, and this is the Unresolved Life Podcast. Hello and welcome, everybody. This interview is not for little kids to hear. It's it's touching a topic that's uh, maybe a little sensitive for younger ears. So if you need to pause and get him out of the room, that's fine. But uh, I am joined with my husband, Michael. Hello. And our dear friend, Adam Garcia. Say hello, Adam. Hello. And today we are talking about a subject that plagues a lot of people within the country, but that a lot of people don't know much about. And I brought Adam in to share his story because it's very similar to ours. And, and I could probably name a bazillion other people who had it. Today, we are talking about what happens when CPS intrudes on your home. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to uh, talk about today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is uh, Fix My Water. You know, um, right now we are dealing with a pandemic and we've got a lot of people who are looking for things like bottled water. And the thing is, you know, with bottled water being so scarce and the fact is half the time all they do is take tap water and they put it into bottles and they sell it at a premium price, there's a better alternative. You can get your own water filtration system, which gets rid of 98% of the contaminants that are within your water. You can start the process by going to fixmywater.co and fill out the application, and and you, uh, you will receive a water quality report, and you can talk to someone about getting your own water filtration system. That is fixmywater.co. CO. And with that, on with the show. Awesome. Let me uh, do the introduction, Teresa. Mm-hmm. Adam and I have known each other, God, like over 20 years. Uh, we actually we originally met in college and we became fast friends and we've remained friends. He was our business partner for a time with the previous business and he has worked with us for a, a very, very, very long time. Adam's a good guy. He's been through the ringer. He's uh, been there, done that. And he's seen a lot of wars over the years. So his story is is powerful. And we wanted you to hear it today. I want to kind of, um, with that being said, Adam, thank you for coming on the show. No problem. No problem at all, actually. Um, um, I definitely want to get this the word out about, about this this it's a very deep issue and people don't understand how deep this issue really goes. That's true. That's true. And we'll get into that. Um, I want to kind of, before we get into the actual issue, I want to set the stage. As some of you may know, Mike and I have had our own battle with CPS. We fought a 19 month battle to get our daughter back because they believed we were too blind to be a family. They never said it, but they believed it. And I'm just laying out some ground facts. Um, A lot of times they target low-income families. Why? Because they get paid for every child that they foster. That's the truth. And I strongly suggest that you research this yourself. So that said, Adam, how did you get tangled up with CPS? Well, it's funny you should say that because the entanglement, as I would put it, I honestly didn't think it would be an issue, at least not as big as this one and is not as long. The originally how this started is my daughter is 
considered a young mother, uh, what would be considered a teenage mother. And as it is, teenage mothers have a very hard time being a mother because, I mean, being a mother, it's it's not it, as if it's not difficult enough being a parent as it is being a single parent and being a parent that being a parent that is is having problematic issues to begin with. It, it's difficult. And the problem is that the way it began with us in all in, in a sense is my daughter had a son and my daughter eventually was having a lot of problems. We ourselves took my daughter and started her off on psychiatric and psychological counseling. And that's how it started originally. Eventually, what happened is we moved back to where we are now. We took her to a hospital. Uh, It's it's basically a psychiatric hospital, and they have outpatient counseling which is what she was going to. Well, unfortunately, she had a problem. We don't know how this problem started. We just know that all of a sudden, she was bleeding vaginally, and it wasn't stopping. This happened at the outpatient counseling, which, mind you, was going on pretty much all day. It would start about 9 o'clock in the morning, and they would transport there and back their patients um, from wherever the patients lived. and they eventually uh, would go all pretty much all day, go through lunch, and then come home. It'd be about two, three o'clock in the afternoon. She started bleeding, and at first she thought it was just you know a normal normal cycle. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out to be a normal cycle, and it got worse and worse and worse. Eventually, while she was at this psychological counseling all-day session, pretty much, going through groups, she realized that it wasn't it wasn't stopping. They have nurses there at this psychological counseling session. They decided to send her to the ER because they didn't know what was going on. It seemed to be too much. When she went to the children's hospital where she was at, they basically... Well, for lack of a better word, they they basically went through the process of taking care of her. They couldn't figure out. They they still, even to this day, we have records showing that they couldn't figure out what was going on. Well, since my my grandson was so young, we decided to make sure that she was in the hospital with our grandson. So we basically stayed there with. She stayed there with our grandson. Eventually, what happened was that. There was, I'm not exactly sure how this happened. I guess because she came from this psychological hospital, there was a separate group attached to this children's hospital. And it was also a psychiatric hospital. It's basically ran by the county. I guess because she came from this group, they decided to have a psychiatric evaluation. Now, mind you, this was about the time, a few, I'd say about a week before Christmas. So she was there in the beginning of the Christmas holidays. What happened is, is the psychiatrist, which only saw her once there at that hospital that she was at, basically said, I think she's too depressed to leave the hospital and she needs to stay. Now, mind you, the whole entire thing that was going to happen to begin with, she was going to go back to the outpatient psychiatric 
care, psychological care that she was going to in the first place. All we had to do was re-register because after, unfortunately, after three days of missing, which mind you, she had missed all over a week by that time. After three days, they discharge you from that hospital, you know, because they don't, they don't know how long you're going to be out. Well, we told the psychiatrist that was there at that hospital that saw her only one time. We told her, oh, well, she's going to this and we're going to take her back. There's no issue. She'll be fine. We'll keep an eye on her. We'll make sure that she's not around any kind of, you know, any, anything that will be considered dangerous to her and or her child. As it mm -hmm. was, she was living with us to begin with at that point. Then what happened is the psychiatrist didn't want to release her. Yet every medical person that was there, other than this psychiatrist, the medical doctors, the nurses, the, even the medical technicians themselves said, there's no reason for her to be here. Medically, there was no reason. They needed the bed space to begin with because it was around Christmas time. And as normal, for some reason, during the holidays, there always seems to be more and more children, more and more patients that need to come in. Adam, how old was Catherine when this happened? She was 17 at the time. Okay. So I, I want to step back and I want to paint this picture, guys. You got a 17-year-old who's dealing with some psychiatric issues. Uh, who goes into the hospital because she's dealing with some bleeding, you know, okay, that's rather normal. And you've got a psychiatrist who assumes he knows everything and decides that, that Catherine is in too much danger, too depressed to leave a hospital. Also bear in mind that she has a, her daughter, her son, sorry, her son with her. So I could, you know, that this to me, sounds definitely like the groundwork you might see for a uh, quote-unquote intervention. Um, with that, do you want to go ahead and continue, Adam? Yeah. Um, basically, what happened from there is we told when we told this doctor that there would be no problem, that we were going to take her back directly after the holidays. And mind you, this was – now, at this point, it was two days before Christmas, okay, before Christmas Eve to be specific. My daughter was already depressed enough that she was in the hospital to begin with, and they couldn't figure out what was going on with her. All right. The yeah, problem, I'm following you. I'm the following problem, you. Yeah. The problem that, that we had is we knew what was going on. We knew that if she wasn't around family, we knew that if she wasn't celebrating the holidays, which mind you, we would go, we normally would go over to my mother's house. We would go over to other people's house. We would come home. We would have our own family, you know, our own holiday gathering. Normal, this is normal stuff that we do pretty much every year. Okay. And the problem that we had is we knew that the depression, regardless of whether or not she stayed in the hospital, was just going to get worse as long as she wasn't around her son and family, which, by the way, they wanted her son to come home, but not her. OK, so when you say they, who wanted her son to come home? The psychiatrist. Basically, okay. she wanted to, according to whether I understand, she wanted to place my daughter into the psychiatric center there at the hospital. That's what she wanted to do or he wanted to do. I'm not sure if it was a he or she. I think it was a she. Uh, a female psychiatrist. But anyway, this is how everything started. And I actually talked to my daughter face to face. I said, look, 
this is what they want to do. And this is the reason why they want to do it. And I told my daughter, look, you tell me what you want. What is it that you truly want? She specifically told me, I am only going to get more depressed being around here. I'm not going to be home with my son. I'm not going to be around my family members. I'm not going to be around you, dad. I'm not going to be around mom. It's just going to get worse. I want to be home with you. I said, look, what is it that you want to do afterwards? She said, well, I, I need to get back to to the hospital that I was going to, the psychiatrist and psychologist and the groups that I was going to. I said, okay, but they're not going to be open there in the hospital. And even if they are, it's going to be very difficult to get in. They're going to want to place you into the psychiatric care anyway. At that point, my wife and I called the actual psych- psychiatric psychological hospital with the ones that, with the groups that she was going to originally that she had been sent to the hospital from. We found out they didn't have any beds, even if they were to put her into an inpatient there. And I asked them there at that hospital, I spoke to a psychologist, uh, I believe it's a, a supervisor. I said, look, if we bring her in after the holidays, can we get her back patient group because in all honesty that's what she wants she said that shouldn't be a problem to begin with we're going to start the outpatient groups immediately after the holidays i said so we just have to go through the process again yes okay that's not an issue it's a long process but it's not an issue can we do that she said yes that shouldn't be a problem so i told this other psychiatrist at that hospital that this wouldn't be a problem she didn't want to let the issue go I asked the nurses there, is there anything that I can do to get this taken care of? They said, the only thing that you can do is take your child out AMA. Wow. Okay. This raises up another issue. So the only way that you could get your daughter out and get her the care that you felt she needed outside of the hospital was to go AMA or against medical advice. Exactly. That's what AMA means. In other words, that's what would happen. Now, at that Point. We were specifically told by the psychiatrist from this hospital that they sent my daughter to, which is a county hospital, that if we did that, she would have no choice but to report us to Child Protective Services. Okay. Now, that's interesting. Hang on a second. Now, uh, keep in mind, guys, as any uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, anyone that is in any kind of authority uh, with a hospital, with any kind of... Um, Including a pastor, I might add. Yes. They are what is called a mandatory reporter. A mandatory reporter is someone who is by law obligated to report you if they feel that you abuse are... Abuse neglect. Yeah. If you are endangering your child abuse and neglect. So what happened when you were told... That the 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 um, psychiatrist would report you, Adam. I was flabbergasted, and I told my daughter exactly what would happen if this happened. And this is, I'm sorry this this part is very hard for me to bring up because this brought up issues later, which I don't know whether to regret them or not. I really don't. But it's it's very hard for me to talk about this part because. I feel if I didn't do what I was, what I'm about to tell you, that I would not have a daughter anymore. She specifically told me that she wanted to kill herself, that she would do it if I didn't take her out of the hospital. I couldn't stand that. And I knew for a fact that her depression would just get worse and worse and worse. 
And I know my daughter, like me, she's adamant. For a, for a different analogy, she's bullheaded. She always has been. It's one of the things she got from me. When she grabs onto something, she will never let it go, just like a bull. Mm-hmm. She's strong-headed, just like me, just like her mother. Unfortunately, just like her grandmother, her grandma, whole, my whole line of lineage. This is my daughter literally telling me something that she would figure out a way to do. I couldn't stand that. So I had a choice to make at that point. I even discussed it with my wife. I said, look, honey, if we don't do this, I know Catherine's going to figure out a way to do this. Mm -hmm. I want that. It's better for her to come home and to be happy because as long as she's happy, then there's no problem for anybody. So I discussed it with my wife. We came and that I would take her out regardless of the AMA. So that's what we, now eventually what happened is child protective services did get involved, but by that time that this happened, my daughter was already back into the psychiatric outpatient care that she was in to begin with. And when, okay. uh, and, and I want to I focus on that first um, encounter with Child Protective Services. When they got involved, what did they tell you? You talk about the CPS investigator? Yeah. What was the, what was, can you describe for uh, the audience your first encounter with them? Um, now, mind you, this is with our daughter. Okay. Right. Now, what I happened, understand. what happened was they asked to see my daughter. I couldn't present my daughter because she was at the psychiatric counseling at that time. So they came to your house? Yes. Did they have any police with them or anyone else with them at the time? At that time, no. Okay. But they did show me, if I remember correctly, God, this was so long back. It's been been a while. Um, If I remember correctly, there was originally an investigator, me and my daughter. The report originally was against me, okay? But later on, this is where the problems began. The report was originally against me, and we fought it. Then what happened, understand, when I say we fought it, I don't mean in a legal sense. I mean in the fact that when they would come over, they would want to see my daughter. At a certain point, they did see my daughter. I don't know what exactly they determined at that point. But then they, I don't know if they found out from the hospital that she had from a son or if they found out through her, but they wanted to see my grandson, which wasn't a problem. We took them out, took my grandson outside just so that they could see him. There was no problem there at first. Now, originally what we were told was that it would be transferred to a caseworker, which it did. When we got the caseworker, that's when things started to change. About that time, my daughter was getting ready to turn 18. It was a couple of months before that, okay, before she was getting ready to turn 18, because there were several meetings, so to speak, of the investigator coming out, then the CPS caseworker coming out. The CPS caseworker came out, and originally the CPS caseworker was trying to speak to or whoever to get the case dropped. But then there was a little flaw. And the flaw was that she was getting ready to turn 18 and basically, by law, be considered a parent on her own. And then suddenly the case changed from being against me to being against my daughter. And it was against my daughter 
because they saw my grandson with what they saw as being a dirty diaper. Now, what they saw was a diaper that was covered because he had just finished eating lunch with food. We didn't even get a chance to change him before even taking him out. We were in the process of taking off clothes to take him to, to, to literally change his diaper because he had peed in his diaper and we were getting ready to change it. We took him outside when that was happening because they wanted to see Andy and we didn't want there to be a problem. So we were trying to, you were trying to comply. show them the issue. Right. Exactly. So we brought Andy out. Then a report was made. Supposedly, I'm assuming that what the caseworker said or the investigator said was that they saw him with a dirty diaper. Well, of course they saw him with a dirty diaper. It was still wet. It was in the process of being changed. It was in the process of his clothes being changed because he had just eaten. And, you know, no offense, but he's an infant. (laughs) He's an infant. Yeah, of course. He's going to get dirty. That's how everything started with my grandson. And everything got switched. Then it was a case against my grandson. Okay. At which point they constantly started asking to come in and see the house. See, in the beginning, I knew for a fact that they didn't have the right to come, just come into our house. That I, I, want, I, want, I want to double down on that right there. Um, if you are ever confronted with them, they do not have the right to enter your home unless they have a warrant. They will do everything they can to intimidate you. And, and Adam, was there any kind of, let me ask you this. Was there any kind of intimidation where they, where they were demanding to see the house or if you don't let us in, we'll do this? Well, originally with the original caseworker, they were telling us things like we need to come in and see the house. And I said, okay, why do you need to come in and see the house? We need to assure that the child is under livable conditions, under satisfactory conditions to live in this home. Now, several times they were denied access to the house. And we told them, if you would like to see Andy, we will bring out Andy. And most of the time, from what I could tell, and see, this this is where the difference is. They normally came around times that our child was either eating, getting ready for bed, or a nap, because, of course, he was an infant, or it was around some lucrative time that they say is out of the blue. In other words, they can come over at any time to investigate or to yeah. look at the home. Okay? Yeah, they do that. Yeah, and that's the thing. And they they come around times, at least from what I notice, at least with us, and from what I understand from other people, I've heard these stories too. Mm-hmm. They come around times when a child is doing things that, well, for lack of a better word, they would cause a mess or cause themselves to be dirty or, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Really taking care of what I call their idea of a perfectly clean child. Right. Okay. It's not so much that they were intimidating us. It's the times that they were coming around us. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's where the issue comes in. I find that very interesting. And and that's where it started. Okay. And that's where a lot of, 
for lack of a better word, that's where a lot of this began. Okay. So let me ask you this. How long? Because I know you've had a lot of um, interactions with CPS. How many, for how many years have you dealt with them off and on in general? Now that we have the background. Technically, we've been dealing with them since, well, if you include the reporting period from the very first moment with Catherine, since mm-hmm. December of 2017 until this very present day. That is that is oh, over three oh, years. A little over three years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is over three years. Yes, over three years. Your life that has been taken over and hounded by CPS. Guys, this is what they do. This is how they operate. I've seen case after case after case of similar harassment. Yep. We went through it Um, ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. We went through it ourselves. 19 months. This is what they do. When they get you into the system, it's very difficult to to remove yourself. They will do anything to keep you in the system. Let me give you an example. Take my 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 example for for instance. They started with me and my daughter, and then it got switched to my daughter and my grandson. Within a matter of months, this happened. Okay, that's what I want to point out. This happened within a matter of months, from December of 2017 to literally the beginning of April of 2018. That's where it started. With their um, constant management of your case and the case now against your daughter where does it stand where does it stand now currently my daughter and my grandsons are literally separated they have custody of and my daughter grandson, does not correct? live with me so you're so they have taken have they taken both of your grandsons technically no they haven't actually taken them but what they have separated them And let me explain what I mean by that, because a lot of people don't understand what happened. What happened at one point, and this was, I want to say, I want to say August. It may have been July or September that this happened, because a lot of this has gone on. And a lot of things have happened since then, of last year. About August of last year, approximately, they deemed our house to be unsuitable and unlivable conditions for our grandsons. Because okay. by that time, I had a second grandson. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. at that point, they removed my daughter and my grandsons and put them in a specific shelter. Now, I'm not going to name the shelter because unfortunately, no. don't give shelter, us any details uh, other than just share the story. They put them in a shelter. And then she was only allowed to stay at that shelter 60 days, at which point, She was literally given an apartment, but they knew that my daughter had no resources to take care of these two children. And by that, when you, when you say, when you hang on, when you say give it an apartment, this is an apartment that was paid for by CPS and the state. Correct. If if I'm understanding correctly, it's with someone who partners with CPS. Okay. That's the way I'm understanding it anyway. I, I don't. To be honest, I'm not sure because I wasn't given any of the details of this. I just know where she lives and how she got it, approximately how she got it. There's okay. a third party that pays for it. Um, they paid for it for, I think, a year, if I remember correctly. And 
from that point on, she tried everything in her, her power to get a job. But mind you, understand, my daughter at this point still does not have a high school diploma. Okay. She does not have any means of getting a job. She has a psychological problem, which is possible for her to be taken care of as long as she has the resources for her sons to be taken care of, which to be completely honest, the only way that that's possible to happen is for us to take care of the two boys. The only people that are available to take care of at least one of the boys is the father of the second child. And yes, he is in that child's life. In fact, at this very moment, that's who the second child is with. With the father, well, specifically the child, to, to be specific, it's with the grandmother. In other words, the mother of that father. Right. Okay. 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 So, so uh, your daughter is living in an apartment, um, but the child, one of the kids has been separated from her, correct? Right. And now understand the reason why actually both kids are separated from her. The first child is with the, with the father, the mother's, the, oh God, this is so hard to say. The grandmother uh, of that child. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, On, on the father's side, the first child, Andy is, as I understand it in the trial crisis center which is basically a foster home for child that are considered endangered for one reason or another. He's in state custody, right? Technically, yes. In fact, yeah. he's been in state custody practically since the time that they removed my daughter. This story, guys, is not abnormal. Nope. It's not. I know that there are many sites, websites online, who are specifically devoted to parents who have been caught in the trenches and are trying to get their children back from state custody. It's no picnic. I'm not saying every CPS person is bad. I'm sure there are some good ones out there that are trying to make a difference, but it has been our experience that most of them, they're either inexperienced or they're uneducated. And I mean, the horror stories that we've heard over the years about what has happened as a result of CPS taking custody of special needs kids would break your heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the trick they, they, they do, they, they do their best to entrap you in one particular situation I can think of for anybody who knows uh, us or knows, or, or knows, knows about Teresa, that Teresa is totally blind and, when we were dealing with a case, we were at the hospital room where our daughter Mandy was, and there were toys on the floor, and Teresa was having a hard time. She was having, trying to find the restroom, and she was having a hard time. So as I will do as her husband, I showed her where the restroom was. They documented that I had to help my wife use the restroom. I mean, that's the kind of stupidity that you know we've dealt with. They will take anything. The slightest tiny little flaw, and, and they use will it against you. And use it against you. And the sad thing is, if you don't have a way to defend yourself, if you don't have an attorney that you're paying for, they 
their only goal is to push you through the system. Mm-hmm. Let me let me explain something though, and I want people to understand clearly the message that I am trying to get out. The message is not just about me and the story with my daughter and my grandsons. That's not the message I'm trying to get out because you see, I, I don't I don't want people being confused about this. I really don't. The message I'm trying to get out is that we are dealing with a broken and antiquated system. This system has been in place, if I remember correctly, since about the 50s or 60s, okay? And the process is pretty much the same since then. I mean, there are little things that have changed. And I agree that there are probably good people in CPS, but the system itself, it's messed up. I agree. It's completely and and it's it's conglomerated, it's confused, it's wasting resources. Now yeah. understand the reason why I say it's wasting resources, and, and I want to I want to get this out there. When the the time came with our grandson, our first grandson, with Andy, the thing that happened was we had a caseworker that was saying, Well, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And we were trying to meet up with those things. One of the things that she said, and understand, I hate saying this part because it lets out probably a little more than I should, but I don't have a choice. It's literally a part of the story. I was at one time on peritoneal dialysis. At this point, I am on hemodialysis. Now, you may be wondering why that is, and let me explain why. When I was on peritoneal dialysis, there are certain things that I have to literally keep in the house. Similar to what people have to do with insulin, okay? Right. You have to keep insulin at a constant cool temperature. Well, when you're on peritoneal dialysis, you literally have both three-liter bags and five-liter bags, at least with the type of machine that I use here at home, okay? These are five-liter bag, five bags, and I was using up to four of them, approximately four of them per day. That means per night, I would do peritoneal dialysis every night, basically for a total of about 10 to 11 hours, sometimes longer, depending on whether or not there was problems with the machine, okay? Now, I'm not going to get into details about that, but anybody who's been on peritoneal dialysis understands this. Anybody who's dealt with peritoneal dialysis understands this. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I had literally every month, I had anywhere from... 40 to 60 boxes delivered to me. Out of those 40 to 60 boxes, I literally had to keep all of them in my house in order to keep them at a certain temperature because they are temperature regulated, every one of those boxes, okay? And I had them delivered to me every month by the pallet, Anywhere so you've from got two so three so pallets. just to set the stage, you've got pallets of these boxes, uh, medical supplies for your dialysis in your home. Originally, yes, but we were told by the caseworker. Now, understand, by this time we had to let them in the house. Okay, by this time we were dealing with the caseworker that we had to let in the house um, on a on a. If she if she was coming every week, which was what was happening at one point, she had to be allowed into the house to view the house. We were being told by this caseworker that we had to get rid of these boxes. 
And I told the caseworker, look, you need to understand something. These are medical boxes for me. I have to do this. My daughter has no choice but to live with us. She has nowhere else to go. I mean, okay. to me, that seems they, like common sense. Well, yeah, exactly. Now, I, I got a lot more of this. You think that's bad. <laughs> Listen to this. I literally had a letter typed out, signed by three different people, my nephrologist, my kidney specialist, my social worker from the peritoneal dialysis clinic, and the nurse. Mind you, I was dealing with one nurse. I dealt with one nurse every month. She's my, she was my peritoneal dialysis nurse. Right. Okay. That document was signed by three different people, two medical, one a social worker for this dialysis center. It was literally faxed and given to me, to CPS, the caseworker specifically. I even gave the caseworker and showed the caseworker my letter, of which he took a picture. And the original letter was literally faxed to CPS from the nephrologist's office. Right. So they were well informed of what what the boxes were for and why you had to have them. Okay, I got you. And they still used it against you. They still deemed that the boxes were an endangerment to the child. Exactly what we were told later, after all this went on, okay, we were told by the caseworker that the reason why the boxes were seen being seen as an endangerment originally was because there were boxes and it would attract you know, because they're made out of cardboard, they would attract bugs. This is common sense, right? But these are medical boxes. I had no choice but to keep them. I was even looking for some kind of shelving unit to put into my house. I remember that. Which, mind you, I did find. There was a specific type of shelving unit you can use that you can keep in your house. That way you didn't actually keep the cardboard boxes. I even cleared this with my peritoneal dialysis nurse that if I could, I could put them on this type of shelving. And basically, it's a metal food-grade shelf. You can find these metal food-grade shelves in practically every restaurant that is being seen. This is where they actually keep food, cans of food, boxes of food, all this type of stuff, okay? I tried to find this shelving. Cheapest I could find this shelving was at $300 per shelf. Mm. There's no way I could afford that. Now, I could actually go to Sam's and get one that was four level, that was about four feet wide, approximately, and about two and a half to three feet, you know, in depth, and about almost, I'd say, a little over six feet. Okay. And I could put wheels on it if I want, or I could put it as a standstill. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, basically... You were trying to do everything you could to accommodate what they were asking, money issues aside. Of course, because of, unfortunately, I'm on Social Security. Right. That makes sense. Okay. So I want people to think about this. Obviously, Adam's story has a few unique components, but Adam is not alone. Adam is not unique in the sense of being targeted. And that's why we're here, guys, doing this show. You know, we I don't want to get lost in the weeds here. I, this is why we're here. Adam said it best. The system is broken. Yeah. Too many kids have been ripped away from their families because of hyped up charges of quote unquote abuse or neglect. 
And understand, I don't doubt that there needs to be an organization like this. In fact, I want there to be an organization like this. I just don't want it to stand the way it is. Before all this came up, it used to be churches that were dealing with all this. And And the way I understand scripture, that's the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be the government dealing with these kind of issues. Yeah, but the problem is is churches let go of it. Exactly. 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 That's the big issue right there. So Um, once again, almighty, uh, almighty mainstream church and all their and all their um, finery, shall we say, has dropped the ball. And here we are 40, 50 years later. And now we're having to deal with these these thugs, for lack of a better term, messing people's lives up. And believe you me, I I mean, the stress that you feel when your kid is taken, and I know Adam feels this way too. And, but it's, it's like somebody, it's like somebody took and slammed you with a sledgehammer upside the head. Yeah. And what you got to understand ultimately, and, and I don't know, understand why people do. Maybe I think differently. Maybe I was raised differently. I, I don't get this. People let go of things that they should be taking care of. Agree. And part of the problem that I see, in all honesty, is that we have people that are not fighting against this. They just, oh, well, it's the government. We have to do it. No, incorrect. Incorrect. That is completely wrong. Well, if you take the, uh, I mean, if you if you take the lockdown situation, for example, you've got a lot of churches that are surrendering the rights to gather because almighty government has told them you can't gather or we you or you will face the consequences of arrest. And I understand I'm not and I'm not getting into the virus issue, but I'm, I'm saying in general, this reminds me of a Benjamin Franklin quote. If you're willing to sacrifice liberty for security, you deserve neither. That's true. I, I don't. And uh, look, this, uh, I, look, and, and, and understand, guys, I have known some people say I've known Michael too long. <laughs> um, <laughs> we almost read each other's minds. Y- yeah, it, it's funny. Sometimes we even finish each other's sentences, which my, my wife calls Michael my my other better half. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and understand we've known each other so long that. Uh, Michael and I have been through the ringer together yeah. um, in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and we see, th- and mind you, we don't see things eye to eye. There are a lot of things that Michael and Teresa see that, that I don't necessarily agree with. Right. But, but the fact of the matter is, is regardless of what happens, mm-hmm. Michael and I do see eye to eye about one thing. And this one thing is what holds Michael and I together. And Teresa as brother and sisters, who some people refer to as the one true God. Sure. Amen. And 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 the, the, the difference is, is it doesn't matter. We pay attention to all of these worldly ongoings, and we shouldn't be paying attention to that. Right. We are not taking care of what need to, we need to be taken care of. We are not taking care of our brothers and sisters. We are not of the children that are ours. These children are gifts. They're gifts given to us. 
And it's something that we need to take care of. If we allow someone to tear us apart, very own children, then we don't deserve those gifts. Yeah. And I'm not going to allow that to happen. Yeah. Because my daughter has a problem does not mean that she has to have her child, in this case, her children now, taken away from her. Right. That's huge. And you know what? That's Here's huge. another thing. Something that my that one of my relatives said to me, and, and I'm starting to believe it more and more because I'm actually seeing it more and more. My grandson, my very firstborn grandson, he's blonde, he's blue-eyed, and he's completely white as snow. And the funny part to me is, for some reason, I've noticed when I've talked to people, other people, who are like me, who have a different type of surname and have children like this, for some reason, their children seem to be either in the system or taken away from them. I'm not sure why that is. I'm actually seeing this. Well, you know, I, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's a combination of low income and or if the kids have special needs mm-hmm. in our case. Or, it, you know, I think there is some, 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 there could very well be some racial issues there. Racial profiling. Yeah. So, guys, we're not I think, supposed to do, supposedly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, what they're supposed to do and not supposed to do are two separate things. And, yeah. And <laughs> the sad thing is, I would say for the most part, the police that I've run into in these situations are basically just having to go along to go going along and following instructions basically so it's not like they're thinking for themselves or investigating for themselves they're just there to try to keep the peace and try well, part to- of the problem michael is that the honestly police officers are undereducated too just like the investigators and caseworkers are under oh absolutely absolutely and we're not, no. and please understand, guys, we are not saying that all police are bad. No. We and are we're not saying good cops out. I'm there. not saying, I'm not, I personally am not saying that all CPS caseworkers are bad. But in all, honesty, uh, in all honesty, these caseworkers, they need to be just like the social worker that I have at dialysis. My caseworkers, my, and mind you, I've had two different ones, one from peritoneal and one from hemodialysis. And I literally have medical records with timing. So just because I could not keep my peritoneal boxes in the house, I had to keep them outside. And because they had to be kept outside, eventually they were in the sun, not at a constant temperature. And I can literally prove that by the time I was able to use those boxes, my peritoneal catheter got infected and I had to have it removed. The infection had to be cleaned out and I had to put we put on hemodialysis. Wow. I can so literally then, prove that. Right. So 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 in other words, you could literally say that it cost you a lot of mental and medical anguish having to go through uh, having that catheter removed and all that kind of stuff. Because a CPS worker intruded and assumed an authority they did not have a right to have over your household and over your grandchildren. Correct. And I can prove the mental stress. Sure. Because believe it or not, 
because I was on peritoneal dialysis and now on hemodialysis, when I was on peritoneal I had to check my blood pressure, my blood glucose, my temperature, my weight, all of that I had to check twice a day in the morning and at night. And I can prove with timing based on the medical issues that I had and based on the of when things certainly happen with CPS, that those CPS issues caused undue mental stress, both to me, my daughter, and my wife, and caused medical issues later. Because unfortunately, stress, even though does cause medical issues, does not resolve itself in symptoms of medical issues until later. Mm. Well, I think we've laid out everything. I think as we wind down, um, I want to go around the table and I want to leave. Uh, I want er- uh, both Mike and you, Adam, to say one final word and I'll start. I know what we're talking about is a dip- difficult, complicated issue. I know that maybe you have had your own skirmishes with CPS. I would say one of the biggest things that you can do is turn to prayer yeah. because our God is bigger than CPS. Amen. Our God is bigger than man's authority. Peter said it best when he was confronted uh, by the Pharisees in Acts when they told him not to preach in the name of Yeshua. He said, you choose what is best, whether we should obey men or obey God. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you struggled with. But if you were dealing with matters of the state, dealing with CPS, dealing with questioning why they're taking your children, I may not be able to answer that. But I can say this. Cry out to God because he will hear you. Michael? You know, having gone through this myself, I, can, I, I can't tell you how, how much anguish it brings when when your kid is taken or even even when you're accused it's the most degrading thing you can imagine having somebody get in your face and sit there and say i don't i I question the way that you do things you know and you have to literally parade them through your house to prove that you didn't do whatever it is that they said you did i think the ones that upset me the most are the mandatory reporters because a mandatory reporter can be anybody. It can be a school teacher. It can be a counselor. It can be a doctor. It can be a lawyer. It can be a, uh, it, it can be a uh, pastor. Pastor can literally take something. They're literally required. If you say something that indicates that abuse or neglect and they are required to report it. I mean, to me, that's disgusting. It, 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 there's something that needs to change. And we're not ready to announce this yet, but Teresa, Adam, and I are working on something that we will be announcing later to help with this. If you're going through this, I'll echo what Teresa said. Pray. Get yourself around some people who care about you. Hopefully, you can find a church or a pastor or someone that can hear you out and isn't going to be documenting every, everything you say that's wrong. And holding it against you. But you need that. You need someone that's going to stand beside you. You need that support. You need that emotional support. And it's not the end of the world. I want to make that clear. It's not worth ending your life over. And I know people have. 
Because believe you me, I mean, that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to destroy ourselves. It's not worth letting them, letting them destroy you. Don't do it. And Adam? I have learned in my short time on this earth a lot of things. And one of the biggest, the largest things that I have learned, and understand, I'm not necessarily blaming myself for this. But as a father, I blame myself for everything that goes wrong in my children's lives. I do. I I can't help it. It's something I I can't help. Anything that goes wrong in any of my children's lives. Mind you, I have five children. I have a total of five children together with my wife. And and it's not easy dealing with this thing, things like this. I mean, it's not easy dealing with a family to begin with. It truly is not. It's not meant to be easy. But... The greatest I have ever learned in my life is that there is nothing on this earth that is greater than Adonai. Now, you may have never heard that word before. Adonai is the Hebrew name for who you would call God. And sometimes praying alone can't be done alone. And sometimes we pray for things that maybe we shouldn't be praying for. A lot of times, it's other things that we should be praying for and not necessarily things for ourselves. That's hard. That's hard to say, this is what I need, God, but I'm going to pray for my brother or sister. Lately here, I've been thinking about that a lot. I'm not one to quote scripture a lot because it's hard for me to quote scripture. And the reason why it is is because I remember basically the general idea of it. And when I want to study into it deeper, I go to that scripture and I study it. I I literally search for the scripture. I search for this history, the culture, everything behind it, because I understand it better. And sometimes that's what we need to do. But ultimately, with this situation, I can't fight it alone. It's impossible. Michael and Teresa said that you need support. And that's true. You do. And the only way that I can see to fight something like this is to find support in the brothers and sisters around me and my family around me and ask them to pray. One of the things that if you want to help me or anybody else like this, or even yourselves, don't just pray for what you want. Pray for opening up that heart of those that you are, for lack of a better word, fighting against. Mm -hmm. Because said it best, pray for your enemies. Exactly. And 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 it's not easy to do that. It really isn't. But I try. I'm not perfect. My children are not perfect. I know my grandchildren are not perfect. And I know the people around me are not perfect. And it's hard not to be angry with these people. But that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to be angry. He wants us to have all this negativity, to start blaming each other for the politics in our life and for the going against one another in our life. And I'm going to try my hardest not to do that. And it's very difficult, especially for someone like me, I guess, ultimately what I really want is I want the truth to come out about this, not only for me and my situation, but for everybody else's situation Mm -hmm. who is similar to this. You said one word, hashtag CPS truth. That's my one word. 
That's what I think people should send out to find out the truth about it. If you have a story like this, you want it to put it out, put it out with that hashtag, hashtag CPS truth. That's ultimately what I think needs to come out. And with that, I think we'll wrap it. Adam, thank you very much for coming on the show. No problem. Uh, Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Mike, thank you for joining us and um, um, lending to the conversation. Always a pleasure. Guys, I know this is a rough subject and I know it's kind of complicated. It's got its nuances, but all three of us felt that we needed to do this. If you are in a similar situation and you need prayer, feel free to reach out. Teresa at unresolved.life and I will pray and we will pray. Until next time, you guys, remember, you're not alone. You're not alone. I'm Teresa Blaze. This has been the Unresolved Life Podcast. We will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.